and welcome to the first episode of the Penn State College Democast of the new semester. I am your host with our other host today, Tom Sarabach, the current Executive Vice President of College Democrats, and boy am I excited. Uh, today we have obviously my co-host and major host, we're all hosts, um, <laughs> O'Neill Kennedy, who is our treasurer, and for the very first time in the podcast, our communications chair, Josh Wiseman. Weissman. Weissman. Yes. Wow, okay. How you guys doing? Doing alright. Doing well. That's good. That's good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm like You sound doing, great. You sound I'm happy. Too good. Zombie and that. So there's gonna be a crash. Yeah, there's a crash. Yeah, that always happens to me. Pretty messed up. Okay, <laughs> on a more uh, positive topic, you know, we're the College Democrats, we're going to take this kind of intro podcast for the year, first one, talk about kind of what we do on campus, who we are, um, you know, so what do you guys have to say, what is your, let's start off with a very fun, what's your favorite, like, memory from the College Democrats? Mm, that's a really tough one, yeah, so we've a, had some, like, funny moments over the years, and I'm older than you yeah. two, so I feel like if I mention some funny ones, you'll be like, who, who's that, um, or like, why is that funny? I don't even know. Every meeting has something funny. I think, like, because we have a discussion during every meet, almost every meeting, and somebody usually has something witty to say or a joke to crack, and that's always good. Phone banking last year, that <laughs> yeah, one time we dude. phone banked, and um, somebody brought cookies that and pizza. Like, that was just fun, not necessarily funny. Um, so, no, I think it, we it have... It can a, be funny. Though. It can be funny, and I think we had a lot... We have a lot of good memories. Yeah. I don't know. I think phone banking actually, like, in terms of political stuff we actually do is, like, one of the funnest things just because it's so low commitment that if somebody is a jerk to you, you do a terrible job. Like, I mean, maybe it's a big deal to the political candidates that are listening to this. But, like, it's always a good time. Josh, what did you say? I'd say D.C. is probably the best part. Oh, yeah, probably that wins. Mm -hmm. Going down, seeing the memorials, visiting the museums. Doing a night tour of the memorials. That's always a good time. Josh was in my car, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you got to listen to my music. That's great. I'm a great person. Yeah, and we uh, made some wrong <laughs> turns. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a little scared to know what your music is. What? Oh, what is I played it? like, well, Zoe played um, like pop radio. Of course. Your roommate, yeah. Yeah. Our social chair. Yeah. Zoe, who? She'll probably make an appearance. Yeah. Give a shout out to her real quick on the pod. She's great. Um, so why don't we talk about a little bit more not fun. No, it's fun. Um, what we do in terms of like campaign work, voter serious registration, stuff. serious stuff. Yeah. Stuff that helps us win elections. Yeah. So wait, we actually win elections. We did last year. <laughs> we have. We Brian Marshall, yeah, Don Hahn, and all the borough things. Like we killed those. We destroyed those. And Brian Marshall was like, he's a judge, obviously. Yeah. But he was a judge candidate, not just for state college, but for beyond in like the rural areas of Center County. So we we get people like I know, I knock doors for him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just like I know what we do. You don't have to yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's our, um, that is our mission. So. Yeah, so as Tom already noted just now, you know, College Democrats has existed for a while. I don't even really know how long, to be honest. But very for a long, long time, time. For a very long time at Penn State. And it's, you know, there are other College Democrats campuses across the Commonwealth and across the country. And what we all have in common is that we are just devoted to getting Democrats elected at the local level, at the state level, at the national level. So part of that... Um, you know, there's a lot of overlap between college Democrats, Center County Democrats, Center County Young Democrats, and with the different campaigns you might have going on at any given time. Yeah, the coordinated campaign, all the campaigns for those people, and then we interact with, with the Pennsylvania Democrats who run the coordinated campaign, and then the Pennsylvania College Democrats. And then there's College Democrats of America. There's a lot of Democrats. Yeah, we don't really associate with College Democrats of America. Oh, stop. Uh, <laughs> yes, we do. Don't our, say hey, that. Hey, the president of them liked this podcast last year. Great. So, yeah. 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 
don't want to diss them too hard. No, they're nice um, people. Yeah, but I think like we actually do like a crazy amount of work in terms of getting people elected when it comes to just our local area. Like, it, maybe not like it, it, go, it goes up and it goes down. So like 2008, like I feel like the college Democrats way before my time and our time were like mm-hmm. instrumental yeah. in getting Barack Obama elected, especially in this area. Mike Pipe. Mike Pipe. Was yeah, center county commissioner. Yeah, exactly. Current, but he was there during that. But he was actually yes. Nevada. Mm-hmm. But it's that sort of thing. But then you know, recently we've been locking, knocking a lot of doors, registering voters. We're gonna be doing a lot of phone banking soon. Yeah, phone some banking. Group canvassing, hopefully. Yeah. So it's you know it's pretty exciting stuff in my opinion. And we're also starting to branch out a little bit more. One of our goals for the club this year is just to make it larger in terms of the absolute number of members because, you know, the more the merrier. We want to make the club more diverse and more reflective of the student body at Penn State. Penn State isn't exactly known for its racial, ethnic, or religious diversity or it's even... It's only 6% African-American and that's the, for low, example, it's the only state school in the country that has a lower percent African-Americans than the state has. Are you serious? That's terrible. Um, but and we're not even super diverse in the term in terms of where uh, people come from, like just like the state and the country that they are from. So we want to get a wider variety of perspectives, and we want to partner with other student organizations on campus um, that have you know sort of ideals that are similar to ours. Yeah. Um, so we have a lot going on. We're starting to branch out more into doing fundraising for Thon, which if you're listening and you don't know what Thon is, it's a really wonderful thing. Um, it is a the largest student-run philanthropy in the world. And they raise money every year, like around $14 million or somewhere in that realm Mm. in the last few years um, each year. um, And all of the money goes towards treating and um, researching cures for pediatric cancer at um, the Hershey Children's Medical Center in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And we raise, I mean, it's a a small number in comparison to some other groups, but for us, it's probably the largest fundraising we ever did. We did. We doubled it. Shout out to our amazing philanthropy chair, Robin Musa. She should probably be president of this entire university. She's amazing. If you tell her to do something, it'll be done instantly. It's amazing. And it was like 3,400? Something along. Yeah, Yeah, so it was a pretty big amount for us. I mean, not for... No other groups on campus, other groups, but raised literally like over a hundred thousand dollars. God bless them. But you know that's something else we do. But I think that's definitely one of our goals too. Just in general volunteering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but not yeah, just it's, for it's one of the things process. where it's like I feel like as our member base grows and we get people of more diverse backgrounds, more diverse interests, we have the ability to kind of branch out into like different areas of liberalism and kind of like <laughs> like our main goal is always to get Democratic candidates elected. But how we do that, the groups we reach out to. You know, what we do in our local community to improve that, even if there's not an election going on at that moment, is probably just like something that's going to be our goal for a long time. Which goes to a really important point. I think a lot of people imagine that if they want to improve their community or their country, they have to have a position or they have to get to a higher position than they're in right now. And I don't think that's true. You know, we're trying to show our members that you can, you know, if you have three spare hours a week, you can go canvassing or phone banking and get um, a candidate elected, a candidate that you really believe in. If you have another few hours, you can go down to the food bank and you can um, help organize that or to the soup kitchen or you can help plant trees, which are all things that we're interested in doing and probably will be doing this year. Um, Sustainability. Sustainability is very important. Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We can all get behind that, I think. Um, So those are our goals, both the actual goals as stated in our mission and some personal goals that I think our leadership wants to put into place this year. I really think our setup for this year is like one of the best we've had to achieve goals in terms of our exec board, our steering, our member base. Everyone seems super excited. So I'm excited about this year, which is why I sounded so happy at the beginning. And hopefully no crash comes 
or if it does come, it happens in the summer and is not really or it's gentle. Dentist. Or it's gentle. No. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Anything else, Josh? No, I'm just excited to be here. Me too. Yeah. Just happy to be alive. <laughs> Um, so moving. maybe we can move into some current events. Yes. It's only Wednesday, but some big things have already happened yes. this week. Big things are always happening. Something happened. So this is what this is being recorded on Wednesday, August 29th. Yes. Is it 29th? Yes. It's 29th. Yeah. It's in the Checking bottom my of my phone. laptop. I should know that. Um, but last 2.50 p.m. 2.50 p.m. <laughs> Eastern Standard Time. In the library, going down. Um, but last night was Ooh. a super big moment. The Florida primary happened. Um, and the Democratic turnout just for the primary was the largest ever, first of all, and was in the state what, of Florida. Yeah, yes. the state of Florida for a primary. For a primary, six hundred thousand more people than in twenty fourteen. Like, four oh years my ago. god! <laughs> yeah, so that's literally like it, more than that's uh, astronomical. I forget the uh, like the percentage, but it like more than increased it by like two thirds or something. Seventy five percent. Yeah, exactly. Wow. So it's pretty crazy. Uh, I think that personally super exciting, especially yeah. Florida, a swing state. Because I remember 2016, I was watching the election in the Pollock dining hall. Some guy had Trump sock next to me. It sucked. But the first thing like that I saw that knew was like Florida, like Hillary, 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 Trump, and it like messed everything up, messed the game up. So Florida is like a super important state. Yes. Um, and the person who won the Florida gubernatorial primary on the Democratic side is a pretty interesting guy. Yeah, his name is Andrew Gillum. So like you say, he's 39. He's 39, and um, he's African-American, and um, he was the mayor of, I think, Tallahassee. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, but the good things are, um, since he looks different than a lot of the candidates in America, which are old and white, he's young, he's 39, he's a person of color. Hopefully that will increase the turnout this year with people who are younger, more diverse, especially in Florida. Um, I know they've had increase in voter registration for the youth, mm-hmm. and some people call that the Parkland effect. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. Maybe it's more the Trump effect, who knows? Yeah. Because Pennsylvania is also really high, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think, number one I think the, the Parkland effect and the Trump effect are mm-hmm. really kind of the same thing, mm-hmm. where I think Parkland is definitely, obviously, a symptom mm-hmm. And the tragedy happened there is a symptom of the fact that you have a GOP House, a GOP Senate, mm-hmm. GOP Supreme Court right now, um, and Donald Trump, who refused to care about young people, refused to listen to young people, refused to do anything to regulate guns, and it results in these tragedies happening over and over again, with even just the one that recently happened in Florida mm-hmm. with the shooting of like a Madden tournament. Mm-hmm. But I think it's like the combination thing where you're going to see these people are not just going to sit idly by whenever you have an administration and a Congress that don't care about them. So I think you're seeing that in Florida, you're seeing it in Pennsylvania, you're seeing it everywhere. And I think Parkland is great, especially the people that came out of that. They're great motivators for mm-hmm. others. But yeah, the whole thing is, it's pretty exciting. But I think it's just the result of kind of just terrible stuff. Then the GOP gubernatorial candidate, who is white, and with He's actually also 39, which is crazy. Oh, that's weird. Okay. Yeah. At least he's young. That's kind of nice. Yes. Just because he's young doesn't mean he's not racist. <laughs> yes. Um, within so hours. within hours of the win being announced, I'll take it from here because on Twitter it confused and then shocked and then disappointed me. Um, this the Republican gubernatorial candidate for Florida um, on national television while referring to Andrew Gillum said, "We're not trying to monkey it up." Oh. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's bad. Just it's don't do good. that. I can't even. Mouth. Yeah, he put his foot in his mouth in mm-hmm. an extremely racist And my mouth. thing is, too, is just, like, 
there's no, like, I feel like there's no excuse. You can't be like, oh, I just, people say that. Because nobody says that. Like, no, it's not a real thing anybody yeah. says unless you're being. Unless a, you're old. Yeah. Or you're just, like, your older racist or something. But he's 39. Yeah. So, like, he just looks terrible. I, Fox yeah, News something. reported on this. And actually, in, in their article, they had put something about, like, we don't condone this type of language. Like, even, yeah. even Fox News was out there. It's like, there. ooh, that's bad. Even yeah. the bad guys are like, oh, it's so we're very, so, we're very sorry yeah. that Andrew Gillum's one has already been tainted by racism. Yeah, but the good thing is the turnout in the primary was high. Everybody's getting hyped up. In Florida, crucial state, 2018 has the possibility, I'm not going to say anything now, to be very excited. We don't make predictions. <laughs> I'm going to rub it in everybody's face on Twitter if wins happen. <laughs> I want to be like the Pod Save America guys where we're not in the business of making yep. predictions. We can't do it. Yep. Won't do it. Weather, sports games, Weather. politics. We don't make predictions. It just, no. It's not us. So another piece of news on a much more somber note. On Saturday night, it was announced that Senator John McCain had passed away. Um, not very long before that, um, in the days before, it was announced that he was stopping his treatment because... Um, it wasn't working very well, and he didn't. He and he and his family did not feel that further treatment was going to save off what unfortunately turned out to be the inevitable. Mm-hmm. Um, so everyone in College Democrats is sending condolences to his family, who are, you know, going through a very difficult time right now. Um, the particular type of cancer that Senator McCain had is all cancers are rough, but that's a particularly difficult one to deal with. Yeah. Um, it's particularly hard to treat. So our hearts go out to his family and his friends and to his constituents because whether or not you agreed with him, and I am certain that the people in this room do not agree with him on the vast majority of things, they lost a public servant who yeah. was never afraid to speak his mind and who was really trying to do the best he could yeah. for the people of Arizona. And I think John, John McCain really brought a level of respect and kind of understanding when it comes to like actually looking at issues because like of course he has an ideology. Of course he's going to be conservative because that's who he is as a person. But whenever he actually looks at issues, um, he would really kind of consider the realities of it. So he was somebody that was, uh, especially like environmentalism or like climate change or like gas emissions. He was somebody that would actually look at like, oh, this is probably something that's happening. So they reflected the way he voted. Um, but I think the most major thing is just his like respect and kindness toward Democratic officials. Because I think now there's a lot of Democratic officials that are pretty not nice. But, like, they seem to have a lot of respect, but on the conservative side, maybe I'm just super biased, which I am. Um, there doesn't seem to be happening nearly as much. And John McCain was kind of the opposite of that, where he was respectful to every single person. Yeah, um, he was definitely um, a man of honor, a man of integrity. He served his country more ways than one. I saw a cool fact over the weekend that he was actually the most uh, politician appearances on Meet the Press. Oh, really? Yeah. So I didn't know that. I think it was like 73 times or something. Oh, wow. And I know like a lot of people, like Trump doesn't do any interviews. He just calls in on occasion. Yeah, so like he's like not around a lot and not um, in public and listening to his constituents a lot. And I think that like nine out of ten people definitely want to be McCain, have that level of integrity, serving our country in more ways than one, um, and fighting it through the end. Like he didn't resign his seat. Um, he came back for the ACA. He always had a very positive attitude about it. Yeah, every yeah. reporter, I read their stuff on Twitter, and they said, like, he would always stop and, like, answer your questions mm-hmm. and um, had respect for you. And um, just, he was just yeah. a badass. <laughs> yeah. I think, too, you mentioned Donald Trump a little bit for a second. I think Donald Trump's reaction to John McCain's passing 
was kind of like the one of the worst things yes. I've ever he, seen. He it, it is another sorry to interrupt. It's another example of how small of a person Donald Trump really yeah. is. The fact that only after a great deal of public criticism did he uh, did they did the White House agree to leave the flag at half staff until John McCain's burial or the fact that I don't know if you saw this video but he was in the Oval Office being questioned by reporters and they asked about John McCain and he sat there with his arms crossed over his chest and just wouldn't answer any questions yeah. about him like he he cannot stand the idea of somebody else being a better person than him. Yeah, or he cannot or criticizing him, him or or having pr- more praise than he might receive on a daily yeah. basis. He he is such a small and childish person. Yeah, and I, I think it, this is just symbolic of the GOP is no longer the party of John McCain and kind of like actual conservative values, but it's now one hundred percent the party of Trump and the party of being mean, being small, being weak and angry and reflecting on that and taking out and just being like disrespectful. And it's crazy because like, yeah, John McCain and, and Donald Trump definitely had their differences. John McCain was not nah, definitely like keen on sometimes saying, commenting and giving his honest opinion that maybe Donald Trump's not doing the best job, but uh, they are, they were in some degrees political allies. They believed in a lot of different things. I don't think Donald Trump really believes in anything, but they voted similarly on a lot of different things. Um, I guess John, Donald Trump never voted, but it, they, there were some policies about yeah. which they had similar opinions, but, you know, and and I'm sure, I'm going to put words in your mouth, I'm sure Tom doesn't mean to say that every single Republican you've ever met is now a Trumper, is now taking over that Trump personality. Well, I but, but, but I think, like elected officials, you're not seeing nearly enough Republicans on the national level saying that they are rejecting Trump's style, that they're rejecting his rhetoric and his policies, and they are just, le- especially Speaker of the House Paul Ryan, has just completely allowed like the Trump attitude, the Trump ethos to just bulldoze all of yeah. the con- the the norms and all the ways that people yeah. used to be. I think something that's definitely true is like I'm not whenever I whenever I say that, I think that the people that were actually Republicans before that were just, oh I have conservative values or whatever. Low taxes. Yeah, like low, low government taxes, interference. Woo. No government interference, not solving uh so no nothing. Uh, I'm not going to talk trash. <laughs> um, but those people are leaving the party because it's not the same. But then the party's kind of maintaining ties because you're seeing these Trump people that never voted before, never were involved with politics before, kind of shifting to Trump. So you've seen this kind of like. Or perhaps have been a certain type of Democratic voter. Yeah, exactly. And then you still see those Republicans who their highest priority, the most important thing to them is just lower taxes. And as long as Trump is giving that to them, they think that's a good yeah. thing and a reason enough to so, support so him. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spice it up a little bit here. So I already talked a little bit of trash from Republicans. <laughs> now, if you've looked online or in person or on TV or whatever, the Democratic outpouring of support for John McCain and his family has really been tremendous. Um, obviously, he's a super respected politician, so it's very no surprise. Nice to see. He's super kind. He did a lot of work. He's put in years of service. He's a veteran, et cetera, et cetera. He's a great person. He was a great person. So it's not a surprise that this supports here. But do you guys think that if a significant Democratic figure like Joe Biden like, like Joe, Joe Biden, Biden had passed away do you think Republicans would Knock do the, would do the same thing do you think they would give out the same outcrying of support I would say be half hearted because because they know that if you again normal Republicans would be like oh god John McCain died that's terrible mm-hmm. I mean the Joe Fox Biden. News or Joe, Joe Biden who yeah, did I, yeah. what did I say John McCain yeah. oh my god <laughs> I'm sorry. Tired Rest of in peace. Guys, these old guys with white hair with Joe. <laughs> Stop. It's, not their, it's not their fault. But <laughs> no, I'm sure most future. typical yeah, Republicans would be, you know, very upset if somebody like a Joe Biden passed away or a John Kerry. Um, I, But I agree with Josh. I don't think that the Republicans you see on Fox News or congressional Republicans would have, or President Trump would have the same sort of genuine 
you wouldn't see them telling a lot of tales about how nice Joe Biden yeah. was to yeah, them. Yeah, I don't think there's anyone on the left that they actually respect. Like, the, seeing the way they treated Obama for eight years. Oh, Which God. is crazy, because yeah. Obama, obviously super liberal and everything, mm-hmm. but or Hillary or, or Bill Clinton or whatever. Maybe I saw uh, Jimmy Carter this weekend. Yeah, Jimmy, someone said Jimmy something. Carter, I think about him every day. Jimmy Carter did a terrible job, and it wasn't his fault. No. He was not a good president, got, but since he's been president, he has done some amazing no, things. You really got to look up the Carter Foundation. It wasn't his fault that he was a bad president because he was like, oh, I'm going to side with this Iranian guy. And the other Iranian was like, no, we're going to kill him. And then it's like, oh, he looked dumb. I feel bad for his farm. He had to give up. Yeah. But, <laughs> but anyway, Jimmy Carter is a sad case. But like, I feel like, just like you're right, Josh. The way they treated Obama, Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton, people that are left, they're not like super Bill, left. Bill, the Clintons before there was anything to question. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. for the... And with it, like he was on, he wasn't the first Obama, but in the terms of the way the congressional Republicans treated him, Bill Clinton was almost the first Obama because on the eve of both their elections, the Republicans decided we're not going to do a single thing. With Bill Clinton, they decided to investigate like every oh, single thing that's about what we've him. Done too, so. But yeah, there but wasn't Trump, anything there. But they like, yeah, made yeah. things up. Yeah, and then with Obama, you know, they I think they went out to dinner, like on like after his election or when he was inaugurated, and they thought we're not going to do a single thing. We're just going to obstruct, obstruct, obstruct. Yeah, New Gingrich in uh, it was New Gingrich in twenty twelve or Mitch McConnell in twenty twelve. Paul Ryan, one of those bad guys, is a terrible person. Um, oh, terrible just to throw that quick, quick cheap shot out there. Um, they literally said like, yeah, we're not going to, we're just going to obstruct for the six years. Yeah. But, like, if you take those people, they're super respectful, super moderate, dedicated to service, continue to be dedicated to service, even though they have not in office. And they were just, they have been in work, just super disrespected over and over again. And I think it really shows like a divide in the two parties where they've lost, people on the right sometimes, especially now in this Trump era, have lost the ability to disagree to disagree, to be respectful to people you disagree to. And it's, it's uh, pretty, pretty shocking. And we, you know, you have to be honest, there are some liberals who are like that too. Like well, I I'm know, like that. God bless. Um, but no, I know certain people where they just cannot, and I don't, I'm not talking about disagreeing perhaps on social issues. I could understand that. If somebody's denying your basic humanity or your right to equal rights, I understand not having a lot of respect for that person, not wanting to be their friend. Like that's fair. But, you know, if you meet somebody and they have a different idea of the role of government and regulation or what healthcare should look like, Healthcare, that's another if you want. But, you know, if, if it's something like that where it's not literally putting your life at risk or it's not judging your value as a human being, why can't you be their friend? At yeah. least a little bit. Or at least be nice and just be polite. Say hi to them when you pass them in the hallway. Yeah. And the thing, I think, too, really is it's the main – like, so there are those people on the left. But those people are like – they're not the fringe left in terms of ideology, yeah. but they're the fringe left in terms of character, the way they In terms act. of behavior, yeah. And, and, and it's fine for them to do that. It's fine for people on the right to do that. But the reality is that the mainstream left, I, I mean, I don't know about what your guys' Twitter feeds have looked like, but if you look at, like, pretty much every single mainstream Democrat, even to the further left, the middle, whatever, has been crying out, crying support for John McCain, has been pretty modern a lot of things. But I think the mainstream Republican now, especially with, like, recent elections, has shifted to being, like, this kind of cruel person that attacks people that is really just negative all around, this drinking liberal tears <laughs> that calm people's snowflakes because their that families are getting deployed. That, that is lives. one thing I can't stand. That, yeah, exactly. exactly. That, that is the one thing. I think those jokes are funny. I really do. I, I think I funny. think they're funny on you know on a certain level. I think I'm, a, I'm actually funny and I know it's funny they're not funny. Keep going. Shush. I'm funny. I will defend my funniness. But I, I think to some extent, you know, snowflake jokes can be occasionally amusing, own the libs, sure, you own me, good for you, like it can be funny. But then if literally every single thing you do 
and then you post it out and you're like owning the lips or doing this owning the lips ah snowflakes oh my god why is it always a not every single thing in your life if you're Ben Shapiro or if you're this person or that person not every or if you're Ted Cruz or whoever not every single thing you do in your life needs to be viewed through the lens of owning the libs because yeah. not everything I do in my life is viewed through the lens of owning the cons which doesn't sound nearly as good no. yeah owning the cons is what's happening in the prison riots we talk about those yes or the prison um, uh, protests the prison protests yeah they're not riots sorry they're um, doing a great job yes um, they're protesting some very important things um, but sorry to be long winded but not like when I eat my breakfast in the morning you're not going to see me posting it on Instagram and being like owning the cons with my I don't know. Yeah, can't wait when we take power again, and we're like, we want everyone to have health care, though, and the conservatives. Oh. We want, yeah. We want people to like care about the environment and save our planet to own the conservatives. Yeah, I want, I want people to be respectful of people's pronouns and make everybody feel welcome all the time to own the conservatives. Yeah. Like it's like, I think the Democratic Party, and maybe they weren't in 2016 because I don't think they were. The Democratic Party now, going into 2018, is focused on the positives, focused on what we can do to help the environment, to help marginalized people, to help. People of um, LGBTQ people like help everybody, give everybody health care. It's like positive things where the Republicans are focused on so negative, like destroying wealth care, destroying Obamacare, which is not even what it's called. It's like Affordable Care Act, whatever. But like they're so focused on just like hating the other side that they can't even come to anything, which is why the only significant policy that the Republicans have enacted since Trump's election is a massive tax cut, which they've been planning for years and years. And that's the only thing they're going to do. You know, the thing, if you click on anything on any social media page where it's a conservative outlet saying something about liberals, you know what you're going to find. The comment that says liberalism is a mental illness. You do not see so many liberals going around saying conservatism is a mental illness. You don't find so many people doing that because it's wrong. Yeah. And even if those people are doing it tongue-in-cheek, at some point it stops being tongue-in-cheek. They start being serious about it. Yeah. And if you look at, like, so let's take, like, leftist media publications versus, like, right... Wait, don't quote, you mean quote, all quote, publications are left-leaning? Uh, <laughs> Every single one of them. Oh, you're right. You're right. I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah. podcast Jeff, the books Jeff, in this library Jeff Bezos yeah. and the Washington Post and Amazon taking over our lives. Yeah, but so... Even if you, okay, so if you take New York Times and Washington Post as left-leaning, they're, like, the most mainstream left-leaning. They have... They're, especially their opinion boards have so oh many God. conservative writers. Too many, if you ask me. But that's not the point. But they have, like, such respect and deference for conservative opinions, even if the majority of the people writing for those disagree with them. And, the, and, and then, I would say a large number of the people reading those yeah. publications are not conservative. And and so if you go to, like, further left, so you go to, like, Huffington Post, Daily like Jezebel, Coast like, Daily Coast, all those ones. Even the way they word it, like, there would be some things where they're like, oh, Ted Cruz did something silly, ha, 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 but, like... A lot of times they're pretty serious. They're pretty respectful of conservative values. They're just trying to have like positive democratic messages. But if you go to conservative publications like your Breitbart, like oh. your The Federalist, like your whatever the other ones are, I don't read them. Like your what's Ben Daily Shapiro's? Caller. The Daily Caller. I read. What's I Ben do, Shapiro's one? The Daily Wire. Yeah, the Daily Wire. I get the or Daily ones all mixed up. Or even like they're speaking events. And Isn't there like the there's, Washington Times? Or uh, yeah, the, the Washington, Washington Times. Times. Makes me sick. They're fo- so focused on being negative and hurtful, or like. Literally insulting transgender people just for no reason other than that they can and they have power. Like, it's, like, so not nice. It's, like, a totally different I do try to read those a couple of times a week. You know, I like to go on, like, the Fox News opinion pages. And, you know, there's a couple people there where it just gets my blood boiling. 
But that, but I would take Tom's description of it to be largely accurate. Is that you know sometimes you just see the nice opinion pieces about like there was one I remember during um the Scottish independence referendum where one woman was like I love Scotland I think Scotland's great but I just don't think they're ready for it which is fine like Scotland the, should be independent though you go. I love the Queen. But I, I'm not saying I disagree. I'm just saying I... See, anyone, anyone, who, anyone who knows me knows I'm obsessed with the Queen. We can disagree on the podcast because um, we're... Down I'm not disagreeing. Spine. I'm just saying it's very complicated. We Maybe we can tackle it later. Yeah. Um, but where was I? Oh, God. I just said the Queen entered my head and everything's gone. Oh, um, no, I would take Tom's description as largely accurate because I think the tone of it is so often so negative and it is, you know, one thing that I say a lot, um, our dear, sweet... Now at Cornell Law, former executive vice president Jonna Purcell said this to me once, and it really changed my whole life. She said, I am constantly, she said, liberals are so often told that we need to understand conservatives, but conservatives are never told that they have to yeah, understand I liberals. I agree with you. Yeah, and Jonna, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So that is a Jonna quote. That's not me originally. <laughs> but yeah, I see so few calls in these Republican um, you know, publications, so few liberal editorialists or, or opinion writers. And so few people just generally calling for, hey, like you might disagree with liberals, but like try to learn more about their arguments so that you see yeah, where they're you, coming from. Right. There's yeah. just basic denial that I might have anything of value to say mm-hmm. and that I might be even half right. Maybe you're half right. Put those halves together. Yeah. We'll find a nice compromise. There's just basic denial yeah. of that. Yeah. And I don't think the majority of normal Republicans, <laughs> students at Penn State feel that way, but it's very disturbing to me that that's what the publications yeah. and the TV personalities are pushing. And I really think too, sorry Josh, you're Say something. I don't, I, yeah, I was gonna say. I think some of that comes from their policy positions. Like Democrats want like everyone to have access to health care, women to have control over their own bodies. And, like we actually have positions that like broadly appeal to everyone, and Republicans are like against us from having all mm-hmm. of those. And like some of that, I guess, feeds into their opinions and how they treat people because they don't want people to have health care, women to have control of their own bodies. Or, like, to ban Muslims or something. So, like, they don't treat others based off their own policies, and it kind of forms their interactions with others because they just don't care. Most of them really don't care. And I really think, like, even just us having this discussion, even when you say, when you're 100% right, Josh, when you say, like, oh, the way they treat people, like, if you even use that phrase when talking to a conservative, they'd be like, facts don't care about your feelings. Well, like, I, it, it's so negative that you can't even have this discussion. Or like, First Amendment, First Amendment, I can say whatever Yeah, exactly. Want. And like, I'm like, yes, you can say whatever yeah. you want, and I have the right to say that I disagree, and that you're maybe stupid. if you're taking... No, I don't <laughs> tell people... Right, you have the I, right But I don't tell people they're stupid, because that just shuts down the conversation. But I do have the right to say, and if you take your positions far enough, and you treat people poorly enough to say, I don't think you're a very good person, and I don't want to be your friend. Yeah. That is my right. Yeah, and, and I think... And too, it's their right to have that opinion. Like... I think in 2016, you saw especially, and maybe early 2017, there's a lot of like, whenever we were still assessing the aftermath of Hillary Clinton. We're we're still doing that. We're still doing it. I still do it every day when I wake up. I hate it. Um, Oh, good, because every day when I wake up, the first thing I think about is Russia. So that's (laughs) great. I'm just like, ugh. But but my thing is, too, is I think the Democratic Party itself is maybe like the older people aren't, but the younger people are trying now to care less about appealing to conservatives and like finding common ground because they recognize like right now we need to be our own. We need to find our own space. We need to be positive. We need to bring Safe space warping. <laughs> we need to bring warping policy changes. And that's why you're having the birth of these figures like Alexandra Ocasio. 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 Yeah. AOC. 
AOC. That's what I think Tom's having Oh, I didn't realize you were doing an abbreviation for her name. <laughs> AOC, Ocasio-Cortez. These people are bringing positive messages that people can relate to. They're trying to help people. They're trying to not care. Oh, how do we can spin this thing in service? They're saying, hey, look, here's something great. If you want to be a part of it, great. It'll help you. If not, you know what? You're not. This isn't for you. Like, we want to reach these other people. Or if we do put in effect, it's still going to help you. And you're seeing that, yeah, too, with, like, like Pennsylvania – uh, politicians like Lieutenant Governor Candidate John Fetterman, like the way he talks about the average individual, it's not about like, here's what the Republicans are doing over there, this, it's a, hey, we have the ability right now in Pennsylvania to help a lot of people through policy and through democratic policy and we're going to do it. Like, it's totally a different message. Yeah, and I think, you know, maybe once we have carved out that space, and maybe when everything has just become a little calmer, maybe we can start again to maybe think not about spin, because it's not spin, it's just portraying your policies and your ideas and your sensibilities in a way that might appeal more to conservatives. Mm-hmm. And that's not spin. That's just emphasizing a different part of yeah. you mm-hmm. that might. And then I think I do believe, maybe I'm naive, but I do believe that if the Democratic Party shows again and again that the people we elect are decent and they are good people and they can relate to you and to your life, then I think people will start seeing that. And they will, and even if they're more on the conservative side, they will be more likely to come around to our sorts of policies because they know that the people proposing them mm-hmm. are coming with the best intentions. Yeah. And I think that's why you need your, like, Beto O'Rourke. Beto. <laughs> it's Beto. I just let you do Is it, it Beto O'Rourke? It's Beto. I thought it was Beto. Is, it, is his last name O'Rourke? It's O'Rourke. Yeah. Okay. It's the only way to say I'm it. I'm messing up everybody's names. I'm sorry. <laughs> My last name's too hard to pronounce, so it's Sorry fine. about uh, you got it right, but Sorry. you're a Russian person. Okay, um, you're not Russian. You know Russian, um, but like Beto O'Rourke, or if you get like Beto O'Rourke, or you get like like Ocasio Cortez, who I mentioned. You have these politicians <laughs> that are just like if you sat down with them, if you're not even having a political, Stacey Abrams, Stacey Abrams, if you're not even having a political discussion, you're like, well, this person's cool. Like I would, they're nice. They're a good person. They're upstanding individual that actually cares about people, and wants to make positive change. And then you add in, like, oh, they happen to be Democrats. Hey, this happens to be their policy. This is how we'll make change. Just consider it. Yeah, like, just consider it. I think that's will come around to people. Putting up these, like, very strong, great individuals is what really is going to bring the Democratic Party into the fold, hopefully, in 2018. Yeah, well, I've noticed from, like, Beto or Stacey Abrams or AOC or, like, Cory Booker is that, like, when you listen to them, they will actually, like, inspire you and, like, lift you up, kind of. Like, I remember... Like, Cory Booker was on Colbert a few weeks ago, and, um, like, he was talking about, like, 2018 and, like, democratic values, and just his overall, like, public speaking and the way he treats others and, like, the audience, too, and the way, like, he engages the audience, it makes you, like, want to, like, go out and knock on doors Mm -hmm. and think about, like, the policy positions that, like, we have versus the other side. Yeah, and I really think that's like the legacy of, at least for me, maybe because it's my age or whatever, like Barack Obama, Obama. Yeah. Obama was like the first candidate, like in my history, obviously like Bill Clinton was super popular in like 92, but I wasn't, I was six years not born. Yes. <laughs> um, but like, I feel like it's like almost like the descendants of Obama, all mm-hmm. in the sense that people like watched him, oh, this is how he conducts himself, this is how he organized, this is how he makes people feel like he wants to take care of that them. That 2004 speech. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then 2008 and then 2012 when he kept doing that. And then you have all these politicians now that are about to get into office or already in office if they're Cory Booker. And they're like, hey, I'm I'm also a really great upstanding individual. I'm also inspiring. Here's my message. And it's overall just like excellent. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, part of it, I think that both parties, I think, I, you know, obviously both parties are flawed in their own ways. And I think both parties, but especially the Republicans, because as Tom said, maybe I'm biased, I definitely <laughs> am. I think we both need to focus more on in sh- trying the best we can to only select people who are going, who are trying to run for office because they feel that they have a duty. Not because they want a nice title or not because they want that sweet, sweet congressional salary or not because they want to be famous or something like that. Or not because they want to over-fundraise, then whenever the campaign ends, they can collect the rest of the funds. Mm-hmm. Which apparently you can do, and I learned that last night. Keep going. Yeah, you know who you are if you've done that. Chuck Schumer. Or people who want to enrich themselves, looking at you, Hunter. Like, um, <laughs> or his wife. Or your wife. Jeez, that was terrible. Um, you know, people who, they, they know what this country has given them, or maybe what the country hasn't given them, and they want to make sure that they can pay it back or pay it forward. Like, that is the type of attitude that we need. Somebody who is not all just pomp and circumstance, people who are just like, like Michael, normal. Michael Avenatti. Like normal people. <laughs> I just want some normal people. Yeah. Now, speaking of uh, rich scumbags that just want to enrich themselves through politics, and speaking of Rush, we talked a little bit earlier, moving in, there's some, uh, put re-put on my glasses, you can't tell, because this is a podcast. There's some exciting news. Obviously, there's this past week about Manafort. Again, things are getting spicy. Things, things are, are spicy. getting spicy They're up spicy. from last year. We keep getting more spicy. We're like, it's on low on the oven. Now it's on like a two. We're getting yeah, to ten. We're, we're getting there. cranking it up. Yeah, it's, it, it's good stuff. Um, so I just want to preface this by saying we don't take – it might sound like we do, so you'll probably think I'm lying. We don't take joy in the fact that our president is being investigated for potentially no. conspiring against the United States with a foreign power. Um, that's not fun for us. Nobody wants a president to do that. I don't want an impeachment because an impeachment would be a huge national upset. I would just prefer to have a president who didn't warrant any investigation at all. But I also think that justice should be served. So if he and his associates, and by he I mean Donald Trump, did anything that would warrant punishment, then they should have it because that's how this country works and no one is above the law, no matter if you're rich or the president. All right, so let's just leave it there. And again, also, we're not in the business of making predictions. We have no idea what's going to happen. Robert Mueller doesn't even know what's going to happen because he's not done investigating yet. So today it was announced that White House counsel Don McGahn is going to resign after Brett Kavanaugh, the nominee for the Supreme Court, has been confirmed, um, which is expected Wait, to happen. Is he getting confirmed? It's expected to happen. Next week. Pretty is the soon. Oh, you guys just ruined my day. Yeah, next what week. Did you think was going to happen? <laughs> I thought somehow we'd like no. pull off the grand scheme and like Kavanaugh would somehow not. That was he's probably going to be confirmed unless everybody pitches gonna be, a fit about the lack of documents. Well, that's, we should um, I know. People are trying. Part of me hopes that like Jeff Flake um, doesn't flake. Like he pulls a McCain and says no. But he won't because my thing is. They don't care about it. Well, it's his last stand because he's done in the but end of December. The thing about Brett Kavanaugh is not a Trump. I mean, Brett Kavanaugh is suggested by Trump, but he's not a Trump guy. So yeah. Jeff He's Lee, not a bad person, by all indications. He um, he's a bad person bad because. Yeah, he's a bad person because his policy ideas are terrible. But. That's fine, I guess. But he's he's not like like Donald Trump is a bad person. No, yeah, Donald person. Trump's evil. Brett yeah. Kavanaugh is not a bad person yeah. in that way. I'm sure that if he's on the Supreme Court, he's not he's not going to slack off and show up in his pajamas like he's going like, to like, do the job with all the honor and duty. Brett Kavanaugh and definitely like tips waiters like 25. percent Donald Trump yeah. doesn't. He just like, doesn't tip. Yeah, do tip. you know what I yeah, mean? He's like, he's we can disagree on the policy positions. Yeah. I'm just worried that Brett Kavanaugh apparently has some interesting ideas about whether or not a president 
can face um, criminal investigations and such things while being president. And I'm worried that that is the sole reason Donald which Trump is, picked him, which is not Which is great. also ridiculous. I hate to like sprint this into Brett Kavanaugh, but that's where it's going, so I'm taking it there. <laughs> Sorry, Brett. Brett, like, speaking to you, Brett, I know you're listening to this. I know you care. <laughs> um, but the thing, too, about him is crazy is when Bill Clinton was getting investigated, he was super into it. Like, he was like, yes, like, we need to, like, get this guy like he he was a part of like the council doing that he was underneath the republican i think it was like either a justice or a prosecutor he was studying under him at Ken this Star. time yeah, yeah he was yeah he was under the yeah, mr star he was, he was deeply involved in the investigation yeah. and, and now he's involved, like you should be deeply involved but mm-hmm. he there have been some criticisms as yeah. to how it was handled and more precisely how they publicize it and how they treat but it now Monica Lewinsky. Like, that's a whole nother conversation yeah. oh well that's messed up anyways that's like just society misogyny yeah society that was horrible misogyny, what they but, adore yeah um but and what Bill Clinton did, that was not cool. Shouldn't have done it. Um, but anyway, so, yeah, so Don McGahn ha- is resigning quite soon. It, Donald Trump confirmed it. Um, via Twitter, which surprised Via him. Twitter. What, Twitter. Twitter. Oh. <laughs> via Twitter. Oh, it's all happening. We're all screwing up today. Um, which blindsided him. Yeah. So, and if you don't know what a White House counsel is, it's basically the lawyer. It is not the president's lawyer. It is the lawyer for the office of the president, for the executive branch. He is not so, like, personally defending Donald Trump. He is defending the presidency. Well, it's like it's like if, if the presidency's challenging like a Supreme Court or something, like he would be the guy. He would be the guy, yeah. but he is not handling Donald Trump's financial stuff. Like he's no, not there his is, personal there's an actual lawyer. Because we, we would see, yes, we would see him on TV. If he was actually Trump's lawyer. Yeah. Trump's actual lawyer. I saw him on TV again. Aside, wait, which lawyer? Because he's like, I don't know. It was one of them. He was talking to George Stephanopoulos. I watched halfway, but he did, like, I liked what he had to say, but I liked more that he was like, like, look, like, I'm just Donald Trump's lawyer. If he did something wrong, I'm just, it's mom, I have to defend him. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, um, so it was revealed a few, a few weeks ago, right, that Don McGahn has been cooperating extensively with the Mueller investigation. And also I'm going to say both Mueller and Mueller because nobody seems to be able to agree. Mueller. And in German it would be Mueller. So nobody's really listening to me on that one. Um, neither should they. Oh God. Anyway. Um, so he's been extensive extensively cooperating he has been interviewed for somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 hours which is a long time um and seems to be doing what he can to provide the investigators with the information they need to move forward he's cooperating he's cooperating we have no idea what the information might be we hope he didn't do anything wrong bless him like good for him for cooperating we are not sure what the resignation means it could mean that he feels weird going to work every day while also it could be simply that he, he might just have been feels pressured weird to resign too. He, we don't know if he was pressured to. We don't know if he feels weird going to work every day, knowing that at the end of the week he's going to have to give Bobby Mueller a call and tell him what he did. Bobby. Like he might feel weird about that, even if the yeah. people around him aren't doing anything Donald wrong. Donald Trump calls him Bob Mueller all the time. Yeah, yeah but you said Bobby. 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 What? It's a lot of important Bobbies. <laughs> He's Rob, Bobby. We call him anything. We call, he's not listening. He's a fictional I mean, character. Why does he care? He's like Santa Claus. He has many different names. I mean, he's Chris Pringle. the third, so you should respect him. Robert S. Mueller third. All right, he's not listening. I do respect <laughs> him, but the name doesn't. It's not. Oh, okay, he has better things to do. Get off this well, podcast. The FBI and go. is listening. So the yeah, FBI probably is. I mean, not to this podcast, just in general. Maybe later. Um. So anyway, so we don't know what that means. Um. Also, the bigger news of the last few weeks is that Michael Cohen has admitted that he committed some campaign finance violations. It's a little bit. Which you know, so many people have. That doesn't mean you're a terrible person, but he did them to the tune of quite a lot of money, which makes the gravity of it worse. And he said that he did it at the direction of an unnamed 
candidate for federal office. <laughs> I think it, it was. I think it was Martin O'Malley. It was Jeb Bush. Um, so, yeah. Bernie, we're looking at you. So now the president is now an unindicted co-conspirator, which is great. Um, so we're there, and um, former Trump campaign manager Paul Manafort was also found guilty of what was it, eight counts of yeah, eight. various things, out of all the things he was charged yeah. with, of various things related to tax issues, campaign stuff. Don't you hate it? He's definitely in, in expecting a pardon. In his first trial, he yeah, has multiple coming up. Yeah, yeah he's, he's, he's got one. more coming. One of them had a mistrial, right? Was there a no, mistrial? ten counts. Ten counts were dismissed. Yeah. Out of or, 16. 18. 18. So okay, he was found guilty on eight. There were 18 counts. The other 10 were so he's he another found guilty on. Yeah. He's got more coming. And then they might charge him with more stuff in the future. We don't know. They got a vice um, around something. And I didn't know that he was 69 years old. So there's actually a possibility yeah, he that, he, that he is facing 69? a life sentence because he could be looking at up to 10 years, I believe. Yeah, but so like that, a federal prison. Like, they're nice. And he has to, but he has to serve a certain amount. It's like 84. Like eighty five percent of his before um, sentence before he can be considered for parole. Oh, so damn. he, so unfortunately, you know, I think we can say unfortunately, like like he might be looking at a life sentence in yeah, prison. Yeah, no, um, I don't want anybody to die. Nobody, I don't want you to die. I don't want you to die in prison. I'm just, you know, justice needs to be served. So that's, you know, that's probably rough on yeah. his family. You know, like, but I don't have a lot of sympathy for him because he um, used to work for the pro Russian president of Ukraine who is a terrible person. You should look into that. Yeah. If we had more time, we'd talk about the mess in Crimea that happened like five years ago, but we're not going to do that. And it is ongoing. It's terrible. Yeah, it's a, um, terrible. So that is the update on Russia. Again, you know, we're not happy to see any of this. Um, everybody, no matter your political affiliations, would prefer to see a president not be indicted by with anything or, you know, be, con- uh, be suspected of being guilty for anything, but that's where we are. Yeah. Also, the president acts really guilty, so I don't know what you want yeah. me to say. Collusion is not a crime. Yes, the actual word is conspiracy, which is a crime. Oh. Now, the last current event I want to talk about, we mentioned a little before, but the prison protest is taking place in Texas and elsewhere. It's pretty astounding, the results that they've gotten. So if you don't know this already, obviously there's a lot of prisoners that are um, like we protesting. Jail everyone. What? Because we jail everyone. Yeah, exactly. The United They're States has a disproportionately large population. It's, it's modern-day slavery. They're producing a ridiculous amount of items for companies like Victoria's Secret. You're kidding. Uh, Whole Foods can't go there anymore. <laughs> well, I don't um, anyway. It's too expensive. Yeah, yeah, me either. Um, but anyways, they're, they're, they're not doing good stuff in the prison, so they're protesting right now. They've actually gotten some decent results. Uh, one thing that happened is that Texas slashed like, the phone prices, so it was like I forget, it was like 25 cents a minute, and now it's like 6 cents a minute or something. I don't know the exact numbers, but you know, there is something happening on that. It's great to see. Because, you know, what people in the United States fail to recognize, you know, sometimes we can take away their voting rights. Felons and prisoners are people, too. They're American citizens, just like you and I. And when you make a mistake, you know, it doesn't mean you can't be, it doesn't mean you deserve to be a slave. And they're also framing tons of people for making more mistakes than they are because they need prison populations. And to take this full circle in Florida on the ballot in November, oh, yes. there's a big initiative to restore to voting rights to, is it all felons or... Uh, felons have, I think felons yeah. have been released. Yeah, felons yeah. after a certain number of years. Well, it's one thing if you in prison can't vote because technically, like you did something wrong, you're in prison. But it's like after you're out of prison, you have done your time. Yeah. Exactly, justice has been served. It's you are crazy. just like everybody else. You just have a record. That doesn't mean that you. Shouldn't and have and a the way they use that too is because they disproportionately jail people of color, and then after they disproportionately jail them and give them longer sentences, more felonies for other crimes like white people commit when we get like a slap on the wrist. Mm-hmm. 
then they're like, oh, you can't vote either. So then they just like take away their voting rights, disenfranchise them, and just really make things a lot worse, especially when you consider things like along racial lines. Like and this is a, applying not just to felons who have, com- like this, the, the rule that says like, that you cannot vote. It's not only for felons who have committed really serious violent crimes. It's for it doesn't matter what kind of felony you committed. Yeah, it's something where if you committed a big enough robbery and they said that it's a felony that you can't vote anymore. Which I'm not saying that you should commit robbery. You shouldn't. You shouldn't commit crimes. But that you know, it it's just such it's wiping out the voting capabilities of such a significant swath of the population. And I can't believe that it's been allowed to stand for this. And it also defines, so there's there's always this debate in American society and society in general along what are the lines of our prison system? Is it to rehabilitate people or is it to punish them or is it like both? I mean, it's a money thing. Well, now it's right now. Now it's just a huge money grab. Yeah, now it's just a huge money grab. But my thing is too, is even if you, if you, if you you come into this with a, a kind, sweetheart that's not in and you think everybody's doing their best or doing it's good. Then this kind of this removal of voting rights forever just showcases it's not about rehabilitation. And with that, in those states that they can no longer vote, it's about punishment, which is not the right course of action. It no. doesn't work because that does nothing to stop people from offending. Excuse me, offending again in the future. The rates of recidivism are so high, not because all of these people have horrible criminal personalities and they just can't help themselves. Part of it is because when they leave prison. It's, it's not like they're still in prison because they obviously have more freedoms, but they face discrimination they in so get, many things they that they do. They, it's hard for them to get jobs, to get housing. It doesn't matter if you committed a nonviolent crime. Like, it can still be very difficult for you um, just to live life like a normal person even after you've served your time. And you yeah. don't deserve to be perpetually punished for one thing that you did and that you've already yeah. done your time for. And that's why I'm excited that obviously you're talking about what's happening outside the prison system now once you get out. But inside, I think it shows the strength of organizing and the strength of that even if you're a prisoner and you protest and you have enough force, you can really make changes and make your life better. Um, so on that note, we're a little bit short on time. If anybody has anything else they would like to mention, would like no, to bring I think on. that's it. This has been the first episode of the podcast of the Penn State College Democrats of the Fall. Democrats. Um, you know, it's a little shaky. We're, we're still getting into it. You know, there's a little bit of a fervent conversation. A little bit spicy, maybe yeah. too spicy Get here down. and there. Some cuts we've had to make, but we hope you enjoyed listening. Um, we hope you join the College Democrats. We meet every Monday at 8 p.m. in 108 Wartick. Get in talk with us. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on, I don't think we have an Instagram. Like us on Facebook. I think we have an Instagram. But like, we don't use it. Like We uh, should no. use we it. We should Josh use it. Josh is a Everybody loves He's Instagram. Not on Insta. Well, you better be on Instagram. Follow Josh on Insta once you make one. <laughs> um, but yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, hope you keep listening. Hope you liked it. Review this. Give it five stars. Subscribe. Subscribe. Make my day. Tell your friends. Yeah. So I've been. (laughs) Tell your dad. Uh, I've been Tom Sarabach. I'm currently executive vice president. I've been here with O'Neill Kennedy, currently the treasurer. And a fellow from our Greenberg. And Josh Weissman, comps chair. And this has been Penn State College Democrats. We hope you have a great day. I'm not a fellow, just a friend. (laughs) 